This afternoon, uh, we're talking about prayers. God's refusal to answer or hear our prayer or respond to our prayers, uh, all in conjunction with the previous chapter we talked about. And then on this chapter, it started off, Behold, chapter 59, 1 through 10, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You heard that? Yes. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Not that he don't hear, but he won't because of your sins and iniquity. You've laid a stumbling block before yourself that He says, for your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies and your tongue have muttered perverseness. None call it for justice, nor any pleaded for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch cockatrice eggs and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. Their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Therefore his judgment is far from us, neither doeth justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold obscurity, for brightness, but we walk in darkness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday and as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. We roar all the like bears and mourn sore like doves. We look for judgment, but there is none for salvation, but is for all from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehoods. Judgment is turned away backward and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yes, truth faileth, said he that departed from evil. Now, we here uh, have some characteristics of the people that are praying to God. Some of the ones that pray and have, was fasting in the earlier chapters, 
And I got kind of upset. I was watching television the other night or whatever, and something was going on, and this woman was talking to a priest, and he was telling her to pray for us when she was going to pray, and she went to before God and was going to ask God to do some, you know, prayer to save her husband and work this miracle or whatever. We see on television and we see in real life and we've heard people about God answers prayer and prayer works and we use prayer kind of as a talisman or something. You know, it's it's this thing that we can pull out and God has to listen because we're pleading and petitioning to God and we know that people say, well, God answers prayer or whatever. But have you ever considered that prayer may be conditional? That that's why he said, God here is not a sinner. You know, we in all kinds of conditions, like the people that has the priest praying for them in different, they say, well, we're going to leave it in the hands. We're going to go to the priest and he's going to tell us this and they're praying for us. What happens if that priest's hands are dirty? What, what happens if his hands are full of blood? What happens if he's one of the ones that has iniquity? Say, if we regard iniquity, God's not going to hear. You have to be in a condition. When God says a fervent prayer of a righteous man, that's exactly what he means of a righteous man. And we will go into the New Testament portion about we know that we have the petition that we desire of him because Jesus told us, ask anything and his father in his name and the father do it but that's conditional there there are other prerequisites for having the ability to for god to hear from you uh the refusal of our prayers i was saying the bible is also explicit on the matters of prayers that god not that he cannot but god may not answer because yesterday i went to the prayer where he says, I, I won't hear you when you pray to me or when you call unto me because God's not some secular thing that he has to work according to your plan and schedules or whatever. And I tell you, the church is one of the most exclusive centers that we have. You know, there's all kinds of establishments and different clubs and things, but the church is form of God. It's, it's, it's a calling of God, and it's very exclusive. And that's why when the government intervenes and say, well, you can't, uh, this is hate, or this is different things, and you can't do these things. Well, that shouldn't include the church. You can't pin up on the church because it's very exclusive. In other words, I see people with same-sex marriage and all these things, well, they said the church can't discriminate or whatever. Yeah, it's very discriminatory because these things can't work in the program of God. God has to choose what, what happens in his kingdom. That's why it says this world is passing away. And people that love the world or the things of the world, they may have their hobby horses or the things that they love, but they really regard these things in their heart. They don't want that portion of the world to pass away. They don't want this new world to come in. Prayers in accordance with his will and for his glory are always answered. That's why I said in 1 John, he says, we have the petition that we asked of him because we keep his commandments. His, his commandments are not grievous un, unto us. But prayers that, that are alien to his holy mind and purpose 
find no echo for our prayers must be as clean as our heart. But if it's alienated, if you, you know, if you've done something, you have hands of blood, God's not going to accept that even though the world said God forgive and God's very forgiving. Of course he is. He forgave David for David's sin against God when he killed Uriah the Hittite and he gave David another son, Solomon or whatever. And Solomon was a man of peace. But the reason God gave David Solomon as a man of peace and as coming from his loins because he, he was the beloved of God. But the problem was David was a bloody man. He was a man of blood. He says, I can't allow you to build the temple of God. You can't build the house of God. Because Nathan had, had, had acquiesced to it when David said he was going to build the house of God. Nathan said, well, fine, the Lord be with you. But God came to Nathan and said, well, Nathan, I can't allow David to build the house of God. Peace builds the house of God, and David's a man of blood. Yes. He wouldn't allow it. David laid up to the supplies for the build house of God, but he wasn't able to build it because he was a man of blood. Prayer goes unanswered when it is substituted for necessary actions. When God tells us to do something and people say, well, let's just pray about it, Pastor. Let's just pray about it. We're going to pray about this. Well, you know what the will of God is, what God has told you to do. So praying, sometimes you can stall, you know, and he's praying about something that God's told you to do. Uh, Exodus 14 and 15. And the Lord says unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel and go forward. He was at the Red Sea. Pharaoh was coming this way. The Red Sea was here and he blocked in. He don't know what to do. And he's crying to God. What did I tell you to do? Get my people and lead them across that sea. See, sometimes inaction is not required Action is required. Faith has works. Uh, the living Bible reads, Then the word said, the, Then the Lord said to Moses, Quit praying and get the people moving forward, march, going on across the sea. I've already, what's that in your hand? He says, A rod. We're stretching forth and go across on dry land. You have to have faith that you're going to be able to do what God has told you to do. And he had told him to go across the Red Sea. I hear a lot of Baptist preachers and things talking about sometime they put something in some deacon's hand. They say, we're going to pray about it. You didn't pray about it long enough. Let's go on and get this done. You know what the narrative is and you know what to do with it. I'm not saying we don't pray. But when we, there's a necessary action, we should take that action. Joshua, when they were going toward Jericho and God had told them about at the battle of Ai and they went to Ai and Achan stole something. Joshua, the seventh chapter, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Seventh chapter of Joshua, where it says, Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There's a cursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Uh, rise up, and I cannot stand before thine enemies, or you can't stand before thine enemies until you take away the cursed thing from among you. It's like Paul was telling the Corinthians about the man that was going w with his mother-in-law 
And Paul told him to put him out of the church. Well, if you got sin in the camp, God will tell you you got to get sin out of the camp. If there's sin in your household, if there's sin in the church, it's going to prohibit the church from moving forward. The Amplified says, rise up, consecrate your people. You remember we used that word in preaching yesterday, consecrate your people. In other words, when you religiously dedicated to God, you didn't put yourself or set yourself aside to God. It says, consecrate the people and say to yourselves, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, there are things under the ban among you, O Israel. You cannot stand victorious before your enemies until you remove the things that are under the ban from you. In other words, when there's iniquity, when there's sin in your life, when there's known sin among a people, God's not going to allow you to proceed. He came to cleanse us from our sin. That's why when we unite with organizations of different people and you're uniting for the same, for one ultimate cause, but there are other things that divide you, that's not going to succeed because you can't unite with evil. You can't unite with something that's against God. So if there's known sin, a lot of people have different people in the church where you have to deal with those things in the church. We have to learn to deal with sin in the camp, with sin in our household. We have to learn to deal with sin. When it seeks to change God's declared decrees, God cannot act contrary to himself. If God had said something, we can't ask God to act contrary to his will. That's why we have God's word. And if he says this is an abomination or we can't do this, then we can't act contrary to that. If God says, Moses, you can't go into the promised land. Deuteronomy, the third chapter, 23rd verse, it says, Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time for his favor, saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth that can do such works and mighty acts and miracles as yours? I pray, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond the Jordan, that good hill country within Hermon and Lebanon. But the Lord said unto Moses, The Lord was angry with me because of your rebellion at Mount Meribah, and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, Enough, speak to me no more or no longer about this matter. Go up to the top of the Mount Sisgai and raise your eyes toward the west and north and south and east and see it with your eyes, for you shall not go over Jordan. He had told him several times, you can't go in. But he got to the point where, okay, you could quit asking me that. Enough on this. Don't ask me this. I can let you see it, but I told you, you're not going in. See, sometimes God may say yes, he may say no, and he may be silent on the matter. But we have to develop a relationship with God to where we could come to a faith answer in God that we know this is God's word on the matter. This is his decision on the matter. Yes, yes. 
Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Paul had a problem that God had given him. And Paul prayed to God three different occasions. He prayed thrice that God removed the thorn from him. And when God answered Paul and he says, Isn't my grace sufficient for thee? We don't hear Paul asking anymore for God to remove that thorn. God sometimes gives things in our life, places things in our lives for a purpose, and we shouldn't maybe necessarily ask for God to remove or change that. I tell a lot of people that about my knees when I was earlier, when I was in my 40s or whatever, when this first happened to me and I was 45 or whatever, and I was telling people, you know, that what had happened. And they said, well, you could ask God, well, some miracles or some things that God does, and we don't have faith that God's going to change that or do that. We shouldn't let other people convince us to pray for that or ask for that to be changed or for God to do something. You have to know God for yourself, and you have to have confidence in that which you pray, praying on. So if I'm feeling that God had used this in my life, this was a turning part and point in my life, and it was a demarcation. In other words, a big mark here that says, now you can go in this direction, and it happened in a miraculous way. All these things happened in a miraculous way, and I knew it was God. Why should I change this if I say that this was a confrontation with God? You can't let anyone change that for you. Just like when Jacob wrestled with the angel and the angel twitched Joe, his leg out of joint. Well, Joe, Jacob walked with a limp from that point on. From that point on, he had a limp. And that's why the children of the Jewish Israel don't eat of the thigh from that point on because of the sinew was thrown out of joint. But that was a mark. God says he marks uh, scourges every son that he received. That's a mark. That's that's a point of demarcation where God comes into your life and you know that this death is God and this part of my testimony that this makes me know that I'm a child of God and that I'm his. This is my mark upon me. This is God's mark. He seals those in his forehead that are his. The book of uh, when it ascends from an unclean heart the holy of the heart, the pure, is its prayers. In Psalm 66 and 18, it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If there's some secret, secret sin, is there's a little something I'm holding back, some cherished thing that I know is sin, if that's held back, God's going to clean out all of the recesses in your life God's not going to answer prayer to that weight of sin be taken out of your life. The Amplified reads, If I regard sin and baseness in my heart, that is, if I know it, it is there and do nothing about it, the Lord will not hear me. So you will have to do something about this thing in your life. It's going to require action on your part. Now, if God, if it requires God to remove it, that's one thing that you consistently stay in prayer for him 
to help you in that. So Paul was reliant upon God because of that thorn on his flood in his flesh. It stopped him from exalting itself. Itself without that thorn, he might have exalted himself beyond measure. A lot of people say it has something to do with his eyes or with his looks or something because sometimes God does things to us or give us a characteristic. Like sometimes God, it says God keeps us in poverty. And I told you yesterday about King Lemire when he says, don't make me wealthy, too wealthy to where I'll forget about God. I'll wax wealthy like a layer to sin and forget about God. Uh, don't make me too poor to where I am in poverty and I have to beg. So sometimes God keeps people away from wealth and fame because sometimes wealth will destroy you. Being rich, being high-minded destroys a lot of people. God knows each and every one of us what, what, what it is in our lives. And that's why as we're praying to God, it's lining us up with his will. That's what prayer does. It lines us up with the will of God. Now, when it seeks to avert, deserve, uh, necessary chastisement, God don't answer those prayers either. In 2 Samuel 12, chapter in the 16 through the 18th verse, David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth, prayed night and day for this child, that God would save the child. What happened to the child? He killed the child. He killed the child. He died. Because why? God had told David that he was going to kill the child. He didn't abort him, but he he was a, he, a, I guess it was a live birth, but he died. The child died, you know, some way or another. I don't know how he died, but then David heard of the death of the child, but God had already told him. So all the fasting and praying wasn't going to avert that disaster. It's just like when David sinned and numbered the people and God says, now you will have to face this disaster, whether it be a plague or whether you're casted in the hands of your enemies, unless I do something. He gave David a choice of what he should do. And David says, the Lord is merciful. Let me fall into your hands because you'll deal with me in a merciful way. But let me not fall in the hands of man because man won't deal for me mercifully. Uh, some kind of way or another. Hold on, Jesus. Also, prayer when it totally disregards the known, revealed will of God, God doesn't answer those prayers. First uh, Samuel eight nine through ten says, "So now listen to their voice. Only solemnly warn them." And tell them the ways the king who will reign over them, warning concerning a king. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. God says he was their king. They rejected God and asked for a king. So God warned them and they were disregarding God's will for their lives. And it wasn't going to be a perfect life, but God gave them a king. But he told Saul, I mean Samuel, to warn them what would be the consequences of them asking for a king. 
that consequences went all the way up to the cross. You remember they rejected Jesus as king. It says they have no king but Caesar. Yes. So a rejection of God's word. When it is offered in arrogance and foolish pride, that is Phariseeism in prayer, is an abomination unto God. Uh, Proverbs 8 and 13 says, The reverent fear and worship for all of the Lord includes the hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. We see this in our political climate. If there's a liar, if there's a politician, a leader, whatever you have, televangelist, a pastor, whoever it may be, whether it's your parent or whatever, if anyone respects and fears God, he will hate evil. And that's what I was telling you about the show I was watching. If something is evil, I don't care who's starring in it or who wrote it, eyes wrote, you can't make me love that or like that or partake of that evil. It's evil whoever's doing it. If you, if it's your mother doing it, it's evil. It don't care who doing it. Even if you're doing it, you have to say, well, I'm evil. I'm a wicked person. I shouldn't be doing this. Because it can't reside in God. That's the... You have to have a reverential fear of God. If we get complacent and start tolerating and going along with what's evil, that's what tears our home apart or whatever. Because we think it's bringing peace, but it moves you further from God. Your spouse, your children or whatever, they can move you further from God because you say, well, I'm not going to whip my children, I'm not going to beat them. Well, then that's against the revealed will of God. You think because some psychologist or philosopher then told you you shouldn't discipline your children in this way or whatever. And God says, spare not the rod. Beat him with the rod. He shall not die. About discipline and chastening. Sooner or later, that home is torn apart or that child becomes abusive or something happens because you went against the revealed will of God. Your knowledge or whatever you think it's beyond God's knowledge. That's arrogance. That's high-minded. It says, for wisdom, for God, for wisdom hates pride, arrogant, corruption, and deceit of every kind. And that's deceitful. And that's why it says we should be without a spot or a wrinkle. So God's word should convict us in those areas. And the problem was the people wasn't having preachers that was preaching the whole counsel of God when he said, declare my people's sins and transgressions. You might have had some young preacher as we have today. We have preachers that are preaching with to people that have itching ears. In other words, what the people want to hear are things that's not going to drive the people away, are things that's goes along with what social media and everybody's saying. In other words, they're not preaching the whole gospel because they don't want to be disliked for the old way, the conservative way. Some of the things Mike Johnson, this conservative guy, is it's church things, it's right. But he may not have a right heart in doing it, but right is right. See, sometimes the wrong people can preach the right thing. So you have to like the right thing even though the individual that's doing it is corrupt. God requires the false preachers to preach his word now. 
The false preacher is required to preach God's word, even though that false preacher may have add leaven to it or whatever, he's chargeable to God for those things. So that's why we have to hear God's word preached. We develop faith in hearing the word of God and if we're children of God, we can analyze this and that spirit unites with our spirit and we know it's the word of God that we are hearing. And then you can decide whether your preacher or not has the Spirit of God. When Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos preaching, it was good preaching and he was a good orator. But they say something is missing. It was a lack of being filled with the preaching, with the Spirit of God, with the Holy Spirit. So there are many preachers out there. There are many people doing things for God. And it may seem as though God's answering their prayers and working in their life, but it's not because they have a relationship with God. It's not because of that. And that's why I say we kind of dismiss preaching and teaching. We miss church, dismiss church and everything is that we got that under control and we in the world headed to the next thing and not having it, it prick our lives not causing it to, for us to question self. In other words, it should question us to examine self, to use the word of God to examine self, to see our flaws. It's like holding a mirror up to your face and forgetting what type person you are. You go away and you did heard the word of God preached or teach, but now you forgot what manner of person you are, so the word has no effect on you. And so your prayer is not going to have an effect on God because you rejected, you're refusing to hear his word. You're not lining up with his word. So you're just a hearer, not a doer. And God don't hear your prayer because you don't hear God's word. You're not obedient to the word. When it is prompted by selfish, ulterior motives, God does not hear those prayers. Matthew 6 and 5 say, Also when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray publicly, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of streets, so that they may be seen by men. I assure you, and most of Solomon say to you, they have already have their reward in full. In other words, they wanted people to see them praying and say how much they pray. Well, that's their reward, not that they will receive audience with God, not that God... In other words, you wanted something physical. You looked at good in man's eyesight, but you was only looking good to idolatrous men. You were only looking good to people who had a physical eyesight but didn't have spiritual eyesight. Hope you understand what I'm saying there. That just because a person is praying and pray for people and everything doesn't make him spiritually sound. He's just uttering words. As the priest Eli told Samuel's wife, the Hannah, that you have the petition that you was asking of God. She was serious. She was serious in prayer, and he blessed her for the petition that she was asking for. But that petition that she was asking for 
that was going to be the replacement for Eli, for the priest that said, God give you the petition that you asked for. A few years later, when Samuel was closing the doors and when Samuel had grew up and his mother had left him at the temple, God asked Eli, what did God say to you or whatever? And he said he was going to kill you and your children. What he's going to do? So sometimes the things that you say, you may be condemned by the very words you speak or whatever. Prayers are very dangerous. Anything that has to do with God, that's why it says the fear and reverential respect of God. We don't reverence God. We don't reverence his word. You can tell if a man has a relationship with God by how he prayed publicly. By he pray, how he talks with God. It's like talking with your father. You can tell whether somebody has a relationship with their parent or whatever as to how they talk to their parent. James, the fourth chapter, second to the third verse says, You are jealous and covet what others have, and your lust goes unfulfilled. So you murder, you are envious, and cannot obtain the object of your envy. So you fight and battle, and you do not have what you ask for because you ask it for something to receive it because you ask with wrong motives and out of a selfish means or gender, and you want to spend it on your pleasures and desires. It's for your benefit. The reason God doesn't give it to you, the King James says, because you ask amiss. In other words, you're asking for these things wrongly. And this is no more prevalent than it is today in our political circle, in our religious circle. We see people praying and asking for things, but God's not answering their prayers. They're not seeing God's arm coming down. God's arm is reared up as we were talking about the arm of God and the arm of God it's not short that it cannot say, that it's not slackened. And, and it says, who had believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Only those that are spiritually attuned to God see God working today. See God's judgments that are coming about. God's judgments are coming about and God's answering prayer so much today. Uh, you know, I sometimes struggle to get out to prayer service because I think it's more beneficial to get out to prayer service almost than to get out to Bible study or preaching service. Because prayer is communing with God for man and communing with man for God. We preaching to God to ask God to tell us how to deal with man. And a lot of that's intercessory prayer. But we also asking God, how should we be able to deal with him? How can, to, to strengthen us, that's corporate prayer. Now, I'm talking corporate prayer now where the church meets, where we come out together. Private prayer, we should do in private prayer. We should cease not to pray. But prayer is the most important thing you can do but it's more important that your life is lined up so you have ability to talk with God, that the lines of communication is open. You see, because you might have, you remember I was telling you about something that's blocking 
the transmit from blocking, he says, your sin, your iniquity. The time with God, do you give something else in your time? And today it's iPhones, iPads, uh, social media, it's free. It's a, a host of things where we're a land of idolatry. That's why it calls us the modern day Babylon. Everything else gets in the way of you blocking and communicating with God. How often are you talking and communicating with God? Is that the first thing in your life that you think about? Is that the first thing you think about when you wake up? Is it probably prominent on your mind when you go to bed? Is it prominent with you throughout the day because he's omnipresent and he calls for us to consistently with prayer and supplication let our request not be known to God. So we should be asking him for every decision, everything that we're doing throughout the day. Is it the correct one? That's why what meditation should be is upon God. So all of these things, a lack of being in contact with God hinders the communication and him answering when we call the act to, of him because we are not being led by the Spirit of God. We have to be led by the Spirit of God. When, it, when prayer arises out of a heart full of ill will and hatred toward others, uh, Matthew 5.24 says, If you come to make an offering, a peace offering, a prayer offering before God, leave your offering there at the altar and go first and make peace with your brother, then come present your offering to God. You can't, as Cain did, you can't offer to God. And he had in his mind killing his brother, destroying his brother. As people say Cain offered up uh, the offering, what the offering Cain was offering to God, and Abel offered up uh, a blood offering or whatever. And that's why Cain, God accepted Abel's offering rather than Cain's offering. But I think with this scripture here, we can see what was happening in Genesis when God says, if thou doest well, won't thy offering be accepted? If not, sin lieth at the door. I think it was his attitude, his disposition in offering up the offering, as when Matthew says, before you offer up your altar, before you come to the altar, first make peace with your brother. I think that there was a variance, something between him and Abel while he was trying to make up this offering because God says, sin lies at the door and its desire is under you. In other words, sin wants to control you, but you should control sin. So instead of making that offering to God, he should have gotten right to the point where he didn't have this animosity against Abel. Where he wasn't in that state of mind, he should have been reconciling to his brother. We here in the church, we here in the nation, we're divided and they're talking about civil war and uh, moving apart, a secession or whatever. The animosity is so flagrant that how can God answer this nation's prayer? How can you have a day of prayer in a divided nation, in a divided place 
How can you pray? God's not the author of confusion. He's not presiding over that mess. And they say, well, God's need to do it. No, you need to get right. God's been right. God's right. The problem is not with God. Remember what I was telling you? If there's a, a breakdown of corrosion in the communication, the fault's on your side of the line. It's not on God's side of the line. You, you, you corroded. There's some unclean thing that's not causing contact on your side. When it simply expresses meaningless, repetitious phrases, Matthew 6 and 7. And when they asked Jesus how to pray, here's another thing that he said. He says, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. So there's no use praying the same thing over and over and saying it loud as the offerer of Baal was jumping and hollering on the altar. A lot of people say a long lengthy prayer as the Pharisees was saying all of this prayer, whereas the publican just came in and smote his chest and said, God be merciful to be a sinner. There are short prayers. There's a history of short prayers in the Bible where people come before God and they are specific in what they're praying for. But a lot of people go all the way around the hill here and you say, well, what really was you asking for? What was you talking to God about? You said I added a whole lot of things and it wasn't in its simplest form. Be simplistic. Let God know what you want. Uh, Disobedience is another cause of failure for unanswered prayer. Deuteronomy 1.45 says, he says, and you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not listen to your voice nor pay attention to your prayer because God had told him to go spy out the land and to have, when Joshua and Caleb came back in faith and said that they could take the giants in the land, the other ten spies says, no, the people are too large. They can't get us. They wasn't going up. So then God made a judgment at that time because they lacked faith and they disobeyed what God told them to do. But after they heard God talking to Moses, after God had passed judgment, then they decided that they was going to go and fight. And God says, don't go, I'm not going with you. See, so after your sin is pointed out, it's like Judas Iscariot. After he had betrayed the Lord, then they say he repented and went and hung himself. Regardless of what you say or do, you had already been labeled a devil. God had already says war unto you. So there was no reversing of that disobedience. It's like Esau who sold his birthright. Though it sorted with tears and repentance, there wasn't any repentance for him. He couldn't find repentance for that. There are things and there are times as I was talking yesterday that God turns you over to a reprobate mind to where there's no turning back to God. That's no seeking him. In other words, you've went to this point here. God may show favor in some situations as he showed favor to Ahab when Ahab humbled himself when Elijah told him of the judgment that God had passed upon him for allowing his wife to slew Nabal. 
But then it says, you see how Ahab humbled himself? I won't do it to him. I do it to his sons and children, you think. But he still caused the judgment to fall on Ahab till Ahab was killed and battled. You remember Michael said was the Lord was in judgment and said, how do I get Ahab killed and battled? He said, well, I'll send a lying spirit unto him and he'll go out and battle and he'll be killed and battled. See, we can't change. People say prayer changes God. Well, that's one of the immutable characteristics of God is that he's unchangeable. But what prayer does, it brings us in line with God's perspective. We can see things from God's perspective as to what God's going to do. Of how God's doing or what God's doing. But God is unchangeable. First Samuel 14 and 37, uh, Saul asked counsel of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you hand them over to Israel? But he didn't answer Saul none that day. The reason he didn't answer Saul that day, sometime God is silent, is because, as I was saying, there was sin in the camp. The sin in the camp was that Jonathan had eaten some honey and Saul had forbid anybody to eat the honey. Jonathan wasn't aware. Ignorance of sin is no excuse, though. He wasn't aware that Saul had made that prohibition. And so Saul's foolishness of making that still caused Jonathan to disobey that so God didn't answer Saul when Saul inquired unto to God whether to go down to the Philistines or not. Like I said, that's why we have to beware of sin in the camp. Somebody could have told about Achan's sin. Somebody came back and told that Jonathan had ate of the honey. Yes, yes. And then Saul said, well, surely he shall die. Well, the people rose up against Saul and says, no, no one's going to die. If Jonathan hadn't did that, we wouldn't have made this defeat. So, like I said, sometimes situations comes about that God has allowed certain things to prevail. Uh, God had ordained certain things, but there are consequences to what all we do. We have to look at what principle is involved in the situation. And that's why when watching television or whatever, uh, one of my sons that used to like to watch television or whatever with, because now the younger son is starting to do that part or whatever, we're looking at the principle. And that's what God's deal with the principles, the principalities, the precepts, yep. the statutes. We have to look at these things from a reasonable and rational viewpoint of God. Our thoughts and ways are not like his. So how does God see this? God sees this from the right way, from the right perspective. That's what we have to line up with. Uh, secret sin. When there's secret sin in our life, and I was telling you about if you regard iniquity in your life, God will not hear you. If you have closed sin, may nobody, not, nobody may not know about it, but God knows about it, and that's hindering your prayer life, that secret sin. Proverbs one twenty eight says, They will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me eagerly, but they will not find me. Why will they not find God? Why, when someone is praying and desperately searching and seeking for God, they won't find? 
what we have to go before verse 28 of Proverbs, read verse 24 and 25. It says, because I called and you refused to answer, I stretched out my hand and no one has paid attention to my offer. And you treated all my counsel as nothing and would not accept my reprimand. So when God was trying to talk to you, you wasn't listening at him of what he told you. But now you're needing God and God's not listening at you. Uh, the living version, I'll read that whole living version version of that. It says, I have called you so often, but still you won't come. I've pleaded, but all in vain, for you've spurned my counsel and my reproof. Someday you'll be in trouble and I'll laugh and mock. And I'll laugh. He says, mock me, will you? I'll mock you. When a storm of terror surrounds you and when you are engulfed by anguish and distress, then I will not answer your cry for help. It will be too late, though you search for me ever so anxiously, for you close your eyes to the facts that did not, to the facts and did not choose to reverence and trust the Lord, and you turn your back on me, spurning my advice. That is why you must eat the bitter fruit of having your own way and experience the full terrors of the pathway you've chosen. For you have turned away from me to death. Your own complacency will kill you. So sometimes God turns us over to our own devices. He gives us what we were seeking after. We wouldn't listen to God's word. It's like honor your parents that your days be long. When things happen in your life is shortened, sometimes I'm sorry, Mama. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry. Sorry doesn't shine any shoes. Sometimes sorry is just that. We know you're sorry or whatever, but the consequences are here. The consequences, each sin and transgression shall receive is just recompense of reward. So sometimes God doesn't reverse the problem. He doesn't turn away from, turn to the problem and answer the problem. Sometimes you're left with blood on your hands. That's when Isaiah 1 and 15, when Isaiah 1 and 15 says, And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. The amplified, ver- I mean the living version says, From now on, when you pray with your hands stretched out to heaven, I won't look or listen. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. For your hands are those of murderers. They are covered with blood of your innocent victim. doesn't have to be physical murder. It could be spiritual murder. In other words, it could be where you murder someone with your tongue, with gossip. All of these things kill. That's how you kill and destroy people, with the words of your mouth. Yes. Despising God's law. Despising God's law. Proverbs 28, 9 says, He who turns his ear away from listening to the law of God, even his prayers are repulsive to God. So you've turned away from God's laws. You've turned away from what God says that should be done or whatever. How can you then come pray to God? Mm. See, that's what some of the shows that try to make a mockery of God or think this is something to laugh at, 
the people that see this, I'm not saying that you can't don't watch these things or whatever, but the lesson to be learned in that is that you hate that evil even that much more. You hate that individual or that concept even that much more. You can't pity it and find a place for that in your heart. You have to be like God. God says he doesn't take in the, any pleasure in the death of the wicked, but the wicked, it must die. The wicked, it must die. God rejects the wicked. He says, fret not thine self because of evil do. Well, they're going to be cut off. Someone has to carry out God's laws. Someone has to pray against these things. So some of our prayers is the accomplishment of God's will to cut off the wicked person. Remember I told you about the imprecatory prayers of David where he prayed for the death of some enemies, where he prayed for the desecration of their homes and their children. Neglect of mercy is another cause for an unanswered prayer. Proverbs 21 and 13 says, Whoever shuts his ear at the cry of the poor will crowd himself and not be answered. So when a homeless person or a person that's down and look come to my door or whatever, I may say some things or whatever to try to make them not be dependent or make it a habit of fooling with me, but I do help. I, I don't close my ears to their cry because when I cry out to God, I want God to hear me. That's doing unto others as you would have others do unto you, as you would have God do unto you. So we have a lot of things that iniquity, I told you, that separated you from you and your God, Isaiah 59 and 2. Micah 3 and 4 says, Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. Instead, he would even hide his face from them at that time, withholding his mercy from them because they have practiced and tolerated ignorant, evil acts. And that's what I say about our former president. That's what I say about a lot of senators and representatives, a lot of religious leaders. That's what I'm saying about all of the things in this country that are going wrong. We can't say that we're going to make America great again. We have to say that God's going to bring an end to the world in totality. And that his kingdom come. We're praying for God's kingdom come because the world has to be judged. And that's why Jesus Christ saw an end of the world. He saw a new heaven and a new earth. That's no perfect government. There's no government on this earth but the government of God that's going to last throughout eternity. And that's going to be a combination of all men. Stubbornness. Is another cause of unanswered. He says, Zechariah 7 and 13. And just as he called and they would not listen, so they called and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. When you call, when I was telling you about going in this direction, you wouldn't listen. Now you didn't got to the point here. It's not that God doesn't hear you, that he's not listening at you, but he's not answering you. He's not responding favorably towards you. He said he's hitting his face towards you. Instability. And I was talking, telling you about being a double-minded man. Instability is a prayer killer. You can't decide which side of the fence you're on. You can't decide you want the world. or You can't serve mama and God. You can't serve both. James 1, 6, and 7 says, but he, he must 
ask for wisdom and faith without doubting. In other words, he has to trust and have faith in God's willingness to help. He has to know God answers these prayers. You have to come without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a billowing surge of the sea that is blown about and tossed by the wind. For such a person ought not to think or expect that he will receive anything at all from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable and restless in all his ways. So we have to make up our mind whether we're going with God. And if we're going with God, we have to be all in. We have to have faith and trust. He's no shorter than his word, and his word will be fulfilled. He's going to fulfill all of his promises. That's what we're trusting in, the promises of God, what he had said. And those that violate those commandments, his laws, his judgments, we can see the grace of God working into our lives that leads us and guides us into all truth. And it gives us such a discernment that we pray to God and we know that our prayer, our praying in faith, it's help shaping the world and help bringing about the things that God wants to be brought about because we are his arms. We are his hands. We are his voice. We're his ambassadors. We're his representative here on earth. Just as Moses was talking to Pharaoh and telling Pharaoh to let his people go and telling Pharaoh of the judgments that was to come, we have to stand up to the world and the people and the things of the world just as he did. Now, Wednesday, I'm going to start this off with the separation from God. And I was telling you, it was our iniquities have separated us from God. And God's face have been hidden from us. Uh, I'll go over that in the wicked it re- rejected. But I'll, I'll continue on in this vein about God hearing prayers. But God telling us, that he wasn't going to answer those prayers because being a hypocrite, being hypocritical, severs a relationship with God. God says he's going to deal with the hypocrite. We're a hypocritical nation. We're a hypocritical people. We have to see that there's a remnant of God that's rising up, that's God's showing, and that he's telling in that. He's adding on to the church daily such as should be saved. We may not be seeing it in the specific spot we are or whatever, but we are trusting and believing that God's working. And when the enemy comes up on us as a flood, God's raising a standard for us in that we may be small in number just like Elijah say he was the only one for God. No, God may have us separated from one another, but that's to build character in us that so when when we get together that that five surely could put 5,000 to flight. We will be, it's us that's going to be used to having the odds against us. We won't be murmuring and complaining, but we'll be walking according to the word of God. 